do with this thing. There, that works. So we uh, are talking about They were wanting to see Easter morning. Thank you, Jonathan. Sorry, everybody online that you couldn't hear me. They were wanting to see Easter morning. They were wanting to see uh, Jesus walking on the water, Peter walking on the water, some of those like stories that all of us would like to see. Um, and so we're going to talk about some of that, I promise, um, in, in the future. Like we're going to get in our imagination time machine and go and check those things out. But today I want to take like a personal liberty and talk about a story that I really want to see, and it's not a fun one. And you're going to think I'm crazier than you already have thought I am when I tell you that I want to be there. I wish I could see the moment that Jesus was arrested. Ever since I heard this story as like an older person, like as an adult, maybe even late teens, I've always thought this is a fascinating story. So let me read it to you. I'm going to read it to you from uh, the Gospel of John. I'm going to refer back to how Luke tells the story in a moment. But I want us to get the narrative form of it and the way that John's community heard it. When the, when the gospel writer John wrote this gospel down for the church that he was leading, sometimes the way he writes it is really in like a really good narrative form, and it helps me at least like engage my imagination as I'm reading it. So listen to this story. It starts in John 18, if you want to follow along. I see... Uh, a few people, Mom, you're not the only one that brings your Bible to church. There are a few other people. And you didn't even bring yours today. <laughs> Disappointed in you. I thought you raised me better. <clears throat> John 18, chapter 1, is where we're going to be. After he said these things, Jesus went out with his disciples and crossed over to the other side of the Kidron Valley. He and his disciples entered a garden there. Judas, his betrayer, also knew the place because Jesus often gathered there with his disciples. Jesus brought a, Judas brought a company of soldiers and some guards from the chief priests and Pharisees. They came there carrying lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus knew everything that was to happen to him, so he went out and asked, Who are you looking for? They answered, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said, I am. Judas, his betrayer, was standing with them. When he said, I am, they shrank back and fell to the ground. He asked them again, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus, the Nazarene. And Jesus said, I told you, I am. If you were looking for me, then let these people go. This was so that the word he had spoken might be fulfilled. I didn't lose anyone of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, 
who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus told Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And may God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation. May God give us wisdom and courage to apply the truth of this scripture to our lives. Amen. One of the things that I've always liked about this story is I could picture it. I mean, I, I watched enough Western movies and I watched Tom Sawyer enough to know what it looks like when a lynch mob or a group of people are coming with torches in hand and carrying lanterns for light and weapons. And, and it engages my imagination to imagine Jesus walking with his followers and the conversations they have been maybe having as they were going to this place where they used to often go to retreat, to pray together and to laugh together and to, to study together. It was a place that they would go. It was a safe place for them. And they go there and, and the conversations they were having were probably plentiful and they were funny and they were serious and they were heartfelt and they were earnest and they get there and all of a sudden, off in the distance, they see the lights coming. And I would imagine that the disciples who were there, the men and the women who were there for the, the hanging out portion of it, thought maybe more people were coming to hang out, and they were wondering who it was and what they were doing, but Jesus knew. And he faced his fear by stepping toward them instead of falling back, and he asked them, hey, who are you looking for? Already knowing they were looking for him, he had he knew what was going to happen. He had been a rebel rouser to the point that he knew people were really upset with him and something was going to come of it. I think maybe he just didn't expect it to happen right then and that soon, but he knew when he saw them, oh, this is for me. So he says, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says the words, I am. What happened? How did that take place? He says the words, I am, and they know, all of them, the they who were there, every single person knew when he said, I am, that he was referring, that he had the spirit of God within him to the point that he was God, that he was the Messiah, that he was the salvation for the world, that he had come to show people what love looks like so that we could all be saved. He came to show people how to live a life of peace and walk on a road that takes love and care for all people very seriously. He said, I am. And John tells us that at that moment, they stepped back and fell back. They were shocked. They were in awe. They gathered themselves again. And he says, who is it that you have come for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I already told you I am, but leave these other people alone. He was calm the whole time. As you read, you can see the way that it's written. And if you go back and you kind of start looking into the Greek, which you all should do that sometimes. It's not that hard anymore. Like you can dig around on the internet and find what the Greek words mean. But you can tell that he's calm He's not really upset yet at this point. He's kind of over that stage, like he's ready to get on with it. And so he's playing that role. But then Peter, 
Peter, who's one of my favorites because he's like, you know, he's the opposite of this uh, cartoon character that thinks about how her words are affecting other people. Peter is passionate and he's heartfelt and he's all in. He's all in. And he's like, this is not going to happen. You're not like you came with weapons. You came for a fight. Let's do this thing. And he draws, it says sword, but other interpretations let us know that it's more like a very large knife. Remember, Peter was a fisherman, not a swordsman. And he swings his sword not very well. He's going for the guy's neck probably, and he gets a glancing blow and takes his ear off. In the name of Jesus, he did harm to another human being. The Gospel of Luke says this about that moment. When those around him recognized what was about to happen, they said, Lord, should we fight with our swords? One of them struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Jesus responded, stop. No more of this. He touched the slave's ear and healed him. The interesting thing is, is that as you're reading this, you sense the calmness of Jesus, the thoughtfulness of Jesus, that he cares what his words are doing to someone else. And when Peter draws his sword, and according to Luke, other people were ready to rumble also, Jesus says, stop. And in John's gospel, it makes it seem as though there's frustration, potentially even anger in his voice. When he says, put away your sword. then he heals the man of the harm that was done in his own name. So Jesus is arrested. He goes before Pilate, and they're having an exchange. And Pilate is basically saying, like, just defend yourself. I'm going to help you out. It seems like, anyway, that Pilate wants to help Jesus. And Jesus is just answering the questions, not really defending himself. And listen to what happens. Pilate responded, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your nation and its chief priests handed you over to him. This is chapter 18, verse 35. Your nation and its chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus replied, my kingdom doesn't originate from this world. If it did, my guards would fight so that I wouldn't have have been arrested by the Jewish leaders. My kingdom isn't from here. I used to take that of him saying, my kingdom doesn't originate from this world. If it did, my guards would fight. I used to take that as Jesus saying like, look, we know we're outnumbered. We know we don't really have soldiers. We have fishermen and tax collectors. We have one zealot who could probably throw down pretty good, but outside of that, we're not that tough. But if we were in my kingdom, you all would be outnumbered and you wouldn't be doing these sorts of things. So how about it, I guess? I used to take it as Jesus like surrendering himself because the people around him, there just weren't enough. And I had a whole bunch of spiritual reasons for believing that. And I was talking with my friend, uh, Amy, she's a pastor, and we were kind of talking about something and I brought that up and she's like, I think you got that wrong. She said, I think... He was saying that 
The kingdom is here and now. And that his kingdom isn't one of fighting and of violence. And the story bears that out, right? The story bears out that I was wrong and she was right. And I'm glad. I love the fact that Jesus says, don't harm people in my name. Put your swords away. And I love the fact that in the example of Jesus, we are to do the work of reconciliation when harm has been done in the name of Jesus. Jesus shows us what it looks like to do the work that Jesus is calling us to do. You and I have done harm to people in the name of Jesus, whether it was us specifically or the bigger us generally, we have done harm. In the name of Jesus, people used the Bible to say that it was not only okay, but good to enslave African people. And in the name of the Bible, the Crusades happened where knights and soldiers would ride off into the Middle Eastern lands and kill people if they wouldn't convert to Christianity, leaving Islam behind. Methodist pastor, who also was a colonel, rode off with an army of soldiers to Sand Creek, where they knew there was an encampment of indigenous people, and that there were no men there, and they slaughtered the women and children who were there. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, he thought of these human beings as so animalistic that he had a Bible made out of indigenous people's skin that the seminary I went to held. But in the name of Jesus, my seminary got rid of it. And in the name of Jesus, led the Rocky Mountain Conference, the old Rocky Mountain Conference of the Methodist Church, to, during the middle of their annual conference, to take a pilgrimage to Sand Creek to meet with the descendants of the women and children who had been slaughtered in the name of Jesus to do a work of repentance and reconciliation. In the name of Jesus, there have been churches who have given their land back to the indigenous people who originally owned it. In the name of Jesus, people are doing the hard work of reconciling the fact that we can't celebrate war heroes who were fighting to make sure that slavery existed in the name of Jesus. Put down your swords and do the work of healing. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Put down your swords. It's not about a fight. It's not about winning or losing. It's about love. It's about healing it's about justice, and when one person finds justice, we all start finding more justice. It's not about raising the ceiling, it's about raising the floor. In the name of Jesus, 
I wonder if I could have been there, what Peter did. What did Peter do when he saw Jesus reach down and pick up the guy's ear and heal him? Did he leave his sword on the ground? Did he put it back in its sheath and keep it? Because maybe he needed it to cut some fishing nets or something. I wonder what he did. I wonder what those around him were thinking, what their reaction was. I mean, if Jesus had been in the ring with Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield, I guess Evander Holyfield would have an entire ear, not just part of an ear, you know? Such a challenging way to live because it's so much easier to fight. It's so much easier to just say like, yeah, we were wrong, but that was a long time ago. We're moving on, forget it. But the work of reconciliation and justice has to be big. And we have to do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.